Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Monday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Fall really finally feels like it's here with the weather over the weekend. We finally had some real football weather and a lot of great games to talk about over the weekend. We'll get to the Colts. We'll get to Notre Dame. We'll get to Purdue. We'll also get to high school sectional play coming up in hour number two around 830 Every year there's talk for this one particular thing. I'm pushing back. I completely disagree with sectionals and what needs to be done. Um, also, uh, today on the show, in hour number two, so we'll, we'll break down Notre Dame-Louisville in hour one, but in hour number two, Vegas still believes in Notre Dame. And I think they have good reason to. We'll explain why that matchup hmm. with USC on Saturday could be quite intriguing if you're a Notre Dame fan and no I'm not talking intriguing as in 55-13 which I think a lot of Irish fans probably feel that way uh, <laughs> after what happened on Saturday night down in Louisville uh, uh, also a bear goes sailing our daily bear news yes so we're back on the bear beat uh, IU adds an interesting hire after making another previous hire for offensive coordinator uh, they they add to their staff interesting move there so we'll get to all that and of course Jonathan Taylor, he's back. What does the contract really mean? Because here's the thing. With those contracts, you see the three years, $42 million. It looks like a bad deal. I'll get to why I think it's a really good deal for the Colts, the top of hour number two. So all that and more on the show today. You can reach us on the text line 46862. Again, 46862. Just type in CK first in your question or comment. Obviously, send anything Colts related our way. We'll get to the Colts here after headlines morning justin how was your weekend good morning it was pretty good uh relaxed all day saturday did shampoo the carpets on saturday Ooh. and then watched college football yeah those are the highlights of being middle-aged homeowner is you get excited about shampooing the carpets and then yesterday basically worked all day so tried to watch some nfl when i could had the colts on at work and saw most of that but uh, it was a grind yesterday. Was at work until about eight thirty last night. Ugh, that's a that's yeah. a full day. Yeah, it's all right. It's all we, right. There's uh, worse things. We went and got wings Saturday night. That was fun. Where from? Uh, Buffalo Wings and Rings. Quite good. Yes. Would go back. I'd never been there. So really? I would go back. Is that the one on? Well, there are two apparently. Okay, there's two. There's one next to Close Mentor near the Aldi on off Coldwater. Okay, yeah. And then that's there's the one, one on on apparently on Jefferson. Somewhere okay. southwest. I'm not sure exactly where. Okay. But we went to that one. It was good. Nice. Um, my wife was like, I want wings. I'm like, okay, well, you don't, <laughs> I, you, I, I will go. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to argue. Sounds good to me. So we did that and then went to uh, the pumpkin patch yesterday afternoon, which is fun. Uh, so you went to the Lincoln Farms? Yeah, Lincoln Ridge and, Lincoln Ridge. and Convoy. So that was a fun. It, it's like Disney World, but for people who love fall. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> which you. is... Which is my they have wife. Everything. Hayride, you know, pumpkins, um, the different activities for kids, Excellent. food. Um, All in the shadow of uh, the wind farm, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of. And it's like a real farm. So, yeah. Sweet. I mean, they're busy around, but it is fun. So, I highly recommend uh, if you're looking for a, a nice fall day, which yesterday. Was I guess that I mean it never rained on us. It rained a little on yeah, the way there. It was weird all weekend. It kind of like would be sunny, and then all of a sudden you'd look outside. It was overcast and spitting rain, and then five minutes later it'd be sunny again. Yeah, just kind of a weird weekend on that. Oh yeah, and then Saturday morning I, we we did wiffle ball for the uh, oh yeah spooktacular for the World Baseball Academy. Actually won a couple games. So, nice. Uh, didn't win overall, but we won a couple games, and that's all that matters. Awesome. 
I guess last year. Did you shake off the wiffle ball rust? I guess. (laughs) Not that I felt like I was any any good before. Um, But the the interesting part is, I I guess last year they didn't win any. I wasn't on the team. Ah. This year they win twice. So So now it's all I'll take full credit. Right. Even though I didn't really do anything. (laughs) For sure. So, yeah. Busy weekend. Fun weekend. Uh, Let's talk some football. We have a a ton to get get into uh, from what happened over the weekend. You can stream us. If you can't listen on your radio, stream us. 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. And you can also follow us on Twitter slash X, CalebKinney1380, the show handle. My Twitter is Caleb Hatch, and Justin's is jkinneyops 1380thefan, the station handle as well. So that's how you get in touch with us. And, of course, 46862, the text line number. So headlines in the NFL, um, we can... Mark off the Cowboys as pretenders because the Niners absolutely thrashed them last night, 42-10. to 10. I caught about the first half of this one before going to bed. It didn't feel like it was going to be close. It wasn't. Brock Purdy threw for 252 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, McCaffrey had a touchdown. Jordan Mason had a touchdown. It was just a dominant performance. Dak threw three picks. Uh, Dak being Dak. George Kittle with three touchdown receptions. In this game, Dallas couldn't run the ball. Dak Prescott was Dak in big games, doesn't perform, had a touchdown pass, but also was picked off three times, like you said. Is Dallas a pretender? I don't know if I'm really ready to say that, but this is further confirmation that Dak Prescott is not a big game quarterback. Uh, to me, they are a pretender because they could be good for their division, but you know they're not going to do anything in the playoffs. They, they're not going to beat the Niners. Come on. Well, you look you look at the Niners, you look at the Eagles. They can't beat either of those teams. No. Um, when it counts. Not when it counts. And I firmly look, yes, Dak Prescott didn't give up 42 points. I get it. But Dak Prescott is not a big game quarterback. And last night was the latest indication of that. Elsewhere in the NFL yesterday, you had Mac Jones get benched again as the Pats got embarrassed again. This time uh, it was 34 to nothing. Back to back weeks. To the Saints. They've gotten yes. destroyed. So it's, you hate to see it. Don't, don't you? Especially at, in Foxborough, New Orleans, who's okay, but not great, come in and just thoroughly destroy the Patriots. You, you hate to see it. And uh, a new low for the Pats, now 1-4. and four. Meanwhile, Miami rolls against the Giants. Devon Achan, 151 yards and a touchdown as he continues his torrid start. Uh, Tyreek Hill also had 181 yards and a touchdown receiving to lead them in the win. And I think, what, one other note, Cooper Cup returned. He was excellent. The Rams lost to the Eagles 23-14. Cooper Cup, eight catches, 118 yards. Puka Nakua had seven for 71 and a touchdown. Ah, Puka keeps doing Puka things. The Miami Dolphins now through five weeks. Here's their offense game by game. Okay. 536 yards, 389 yards, 726 yards, (laughs) 393 yards, and yesterday, 524 yards. Nobody has been able to slow down the Miami Dolphins offense, even with that loss on the schedule. Uh, when they lost to what Buffalo at yeah, Buffalo yeah. when they gave up 48 points, the offense has just been tremendous for the Dolphins. And Buffalo lost to the Jags, so we have a, a tie once again atop the 
AFC South. This time it's between the Colts and the Jags. Obviously, the Jags won the head-to-head, at least only matchup so far. So that's uh, where that stands. Someone texting at 46862. Are the Cowboys the Minnesota, the South? Yes, they are, because Kirk Cousins can't win big games, and Dak Prescott can't win big games. Yeah, that that's a pretty pretty solid way to look at it. Anything else that really stuck out to you in the NFL yesterday? Uh, Jaguars taking care of business over Buffalo yesterday morning in London, which it's pretty much like a home game with the Jags because they yeah. play so often over there, at least once a year. Um, other than that, nothing too crazy. Uh, the Bengals get a big win on the road. Joe Burrow looks like Joe Burrow yesterday, 300-some yards, three touchdowns. Um, the Vikings putting up a fight with the Chiefs, but the Chiefs winning. And yeah, to see Kirk Cousins sacked on the the final shot there for the Vikings uh, was like rough. peak Kirk Cousins on a fourth <laughs> down. You got to throw it deep, and he gets sacked. Yeah, he does. He had it. This is the thing. Like you look at his stats. And this is Kirk Cousins is Dak Prescott, two hundred eighty four yards, two touchdowns to Kirk Cousins, but just when it mattered, couldn't make the plays. And. uh and the Vikings are now one and four. I mean, they're tied with the Bears now for last in the NFC North. This is hard to believe because the Bears are pretty bad. <laughs> uh, also, we'll get to this. Will Anthony Richardson play a full year healthy? Well, he won't this year because news uh, for me and Rappaport that with the injury that Anthony Richardson allegedly has, which is a grade three AC joint sprain, he's out at least a month. So get ready to see. A hell of a lot of Gardner Minshew over the next four plus weeks. Elsewhere in headlines in baseball, a bit of a surprise as we have the O's, who are the the darlings of the league, already down 2-0 to Texas. They lost 11-8 yesterday. Meanwhile, the Twins even up their series against Houston 6-2. And then Clayton Kershaw, well, Clayton Kershaw as Arizona took game one, 11-2. He went... A third of an inning, six hits, six uh, earned runs, and a walk. Ooh, yikes! On, on Saturday, very unClayton Kershaw. Here's my thing, and this would take a, a lot more research than I have time for. But when you look at the teams that played in the opening round, Texas and Arizona, namely mm-hmm. Minnesota, Minnesota already played, and yet are off to fast starts. In their series. I mean, Philly as well. They won game one against the Braves. Minnesota and and Houston's now tied at one because Houston won the initial game. But you look at Texas and they're up 2-0. You mentioned Philly. You mentioned Arizona. And I just wonder if there's enough data out there to say, yeah, the teams that 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 have hit the ground running in the wild card series have an advantage over early on in the series over the teams that got the bye and need to shake the rust off. It's definitely the case of Baltimore. We've seen it with Atlanta and now L.A. with Kershaw laying an egg yesterday. Meanwhile, in college football, uh, a wild week in the Red River shootout. Uh, yes, I call it by its classic yes, name. Yes, me too. Uh, Fire them guns. Uh, it, was, it was wild, as one would expect in the final Big 12 edition. It was a, a classic Big 12-type game. Texas, it looked like they were going to win. They score late. Oklahoma had to drive down and get a touchdown. They did just that and scored with just seconds remaining. Uh, so Oklahoma upsets. Well, I don't know if it's really an upset. I mean, Oklahoma I just so. hadn't played anyone. They're both undefeated, yeah. But yeah, they were both really good teams. So 
Texas college football playoff chances hurt for now. Um, they'd probably have to obviously have to win out. Oklahoma still very much in the mix as they move up in the polls. Meanwhile, Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so, you thought you had a bad weekend. Yeah. Yeah, the Miami Hurricanes and Mario Cristobal in particular. So Miami, all they had to do was take a knee with what, like 37 seconds left against Georgia Tech at home on Saturday. And they instead handed off, fumble, picked up. Georgia Tech scores a couple plays later. And not just like a short pass or, or, any, or a 47-yard pass with one second to go. and A defensive breakdown of epic proportions. And Miami loses the game at home. The, Just when and, you think Miami is doing something well, they have well, something like right that. before a huge matchup this Saturday against North Carolina, which was looking to be a, a top 15 matchup between those teams. And said, obviously, Miami went out and did what they did. But the, the craziest part is, so Mario Cristobal doesn't take a knee at the end of games. He has not done it all season. Now, these coaches get paid how much money to do things like this, like between Marcus Freeman and the, the 10 men on the field at the end against Ohio State, between this... I mean, it's like it's it's baffling that things like this are still happening with with coaches in college football. Well, to be sure, Shannon Dawson is the offensive coordinator with Miami. He's calling the offense, but and and basically he's the guy that's not kneeling. But Mario Cristobal's the head coach, and he even said it after the game. He should have stepped in and said kneel the 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 game out, and didn't. So it's it's on Cristobal for not overturning the calls by Shannon Dawson, who hopefully for Miami fans learned a very valuable and bitter lesson on Saturday. Like in, in what world do you like literally Georgia tech's out of timeouts. He's, he's a Madden player because you never kneel in Madden. So Shannon Dawson is approaching it like Madden where, yeah, I'm going to run plays at the end of the game and not kneel. And it bit him. Madden is not real life. And Shannon Dawson found out the hard way. And Georgia tech's not even that good. That game shouldn't even be close anyway. No, it should not. It was it was a bad. I mean, Miami was horrible in the first half offensively. This is a team they should have blown out and blown out with ease. So Miami once again, I guess pretenders <laughs> as we continue on uh, elsewhere. This story I, I I saw it's kind of fascinating. St. John's is going to have a couple of unique home games. Men's college basketball, of course. Rick Pitino, uh, the coach there now. So they will have uh, a couple of interesting matchups, including. Alabama at Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and they're in advanced discussions to play Duke at Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is where the U.S. Open is for tennis. Oh, interesting. Uh, in, in the New York City area. This will be during the 24-25 season. Hmm. So this is uh, very interesting what they're looking to do there. Meanwhile, the Comets uh, made several moves as they open up camp today. Um, first off on the moves, the Condors have assigned several players, including Ford's Alexis DeAust, Cameron Wright, Torrey Linden, defenseman Jake Johnson, and Noah Gansky to the K's. So the K's get Gansky and Johnson back. Uh, Matthew Wedman, Nolan Volkan, and Morgan Adams Moisson have also returned from the Condors. And defenseman Shane Kuzmeski uh, as signed following his trade from Troy Rivier earlier this week. And the K's also, uh, yes, they, they acquired the rights to Kuzmeski. That was earlier on Friday. And Vinceman Mart- Martin Haas uh, to terms for the upcoming season from Three Rivers, which is, well, Troy Rivier's, right? Three Rivers, right? Yes. So, uh, several roster additions. And again, today's the day. The Comets opening up camp, 
they'll have the the lunch today as well. So a lot going on with the case. And I believe it's open practice, right? Yes. To the public yes. this week, or at least the first few days this week. So if you're a K's fan, want to go get a look at the the new look comets, head out to the Memorial Coliseum today. Two thirty to three thirty this afternoon. There you go. Uh, tomorrow, ten thirty to noon. Wednesday, ten thirty to noon. Also, three thirty to four thirty, which is a three on three scrimmage. And then Thursday, ten thirty to noon. Those are the open practices to the public this week. So come out and see the K's as they get ready for the start of the season. And good to see Bakersfield sending some players down for the AHL, if AHL affiliate. We'll see if that fills out the roster for the K's as they have to make some difficult decisions this week in camp. Only one week at camp. So you basically have only have a very long time to prove your worth. Uh, you, have a, you have a week of practice and basically a couple exhibition games before the K's are going to start making some roster cuts. Meanwhile, the Tin Caps field all torn up as they're getting ready for their renovations. So that's happening this offseason. And we also have uh, news in area high school basketball as there's a new head coach at Wayne High School. Congrats to Anthony Brewer, next varsity head coach for Wayne. It's a longtime assistant coach in the area, Coach Brewer, good guy. And he was already on staff for Wayne. And you're looking at this group. And the success it had last year, and it brings back almost everybody of consequence this year. It'll bring almost everybody of consequence back next year, other than Javon Lewis. And so you look at it, and it made sense to keep continuity in that on that roster. Here's the thing in Fort Wayne is an outsider coming in and taking over a team. Sometimes that talent scatters, and that's what you risked if you brought an outsider in to take over the Wayne General. So this isn't a traditionally powerful program, but they're in a position right now to be one of the best teams in Class 4A over the next couple years, and you didn't want to mess with that dynamic. So you promote Coach Brewer, who is more than capable of leading this team. So good hire by Gary Raber and the folks over at Wayne. 46862, your text line number 46862. Meanwhile, the Colts get Jonathan Taylor back. Anthony Richardson hurt again. But it doesn't matter. As the Colts get the win, they beat the Titans yesterday. They lead the AFC South, uh, tied with Jacksonville. And this is a a wild back-and-forth game. Um, But for all the hype about Jonathan Taylor, look, we knew he'd be on a a pitch count, right? So he's not getting a lot of snaps. Uh, Six carries for 18 yards, also had one catch for 16 yards. It wasn't about Jonathan Taylor and his return. Maybe it was for the first carry, but it was... The Zach Moss show, 23 carries, career high, 165 yards, two touchdowns, including a 56-yarder. It really helped kind of break this game open as the Colts get the home win. First home win, Justin, in nearly a year. It goes back to October 16th of last year, uh, the last time they won at home. We talked about this on Friday, how they they'd lost seven straight games at home and five straight to Tennessee. So they finally overcome those obstacles this was a big one. These are the games the Colts have to win if they want to be in contention. These 50-50 games. And last week, it was a loss against the Rams. This week, though, it's a win against a division rival in Tennessee. And here's my question for Colts fans out there, 46862, the text line, is are you thrilled with the win? What are you taking out of this game? What's the headline in your mind? Thrilled with the win or, oh, here we go with Anthony Richards again. again. Now leaving a game for the third time in five games with an injury, and this one's going to keep him out 
multiple weeks. The future of your team is Anthony Richardson. And that's a grave concern that he can't stay healthy. Or are you looking at the short term and saying the Colts got to win? Who cares about everything else? Three and two. Gardner Minshew is the best backup quarterback in the NFL. I firmly believe that. And Zach Moss went crazy. And the defense came up with big plays. None bigger than that fourth and short at the five with uh, midway through the fourth quarter that they got the stop. Is that what you're taking out of yesterday as a Colts fan? Or are you looking at the big picture and saying the draft pick we made can't stay healthy. And I even made the comparisons to RG3, and we've talked about that in the past, but RG3 at least had a healthy rookie season. Yeah, and, it wasn't until the playoff game he got hurt, right? Yeah, so what's what what's the what's the vibe from Colts fans this morning? Are you happy that the Colts got the win? I'm sure you are, or is your or your bigger concern going the the future of our franchise at the quarterback position can't stay healthy? Uh, it's you could go either way to me the bigger story is the win because the Colts have been winning games without Anthony Richardson all season long and the fact that they're they're beating teams you got to beat especially in the division if you want to do something this season I mean you go to Jacksonville next week you have Cleveland at home you have the Saints at home at Carolina at New England in Germany I mean that's the next handful of games and you're looking at all these games that are very much winnable I mean, Jacksonville on the road is going to be tough, but beyond that, these games are winnable games. And the Colts, but they're all losable games too. That too. I mean, that's, right? that's the thing. I, I, the Colts are mediocre. I know they're three and two right now, but they're mediocre. If they get to seven, I think they can get to eight wins. They're a mediocre football team, and that's fine. That's that's progress from last year. But is it necessarily progress when your top your top draft pick? The quarterback you want for the next 10 years can't stay healthy. Gardner Minshew has been tremendous. And I know people are, are on the Gardner Minshew train. I would be too. Legit. But when we looked at this season and say it's a growing year for the Colts, this, this team isn't winning the South. It's not. I'm telling you right now, it's not winning the South. It will be lucky to even be in the playoff hunt. Okay? And, and now with 17 games, you need to win probably 10 games. And I don't think this Colts team can win 10 games. No, I, I don't think so either. I think the most they could win is nine, and that feels like a stretch. And you could get into nine and eight, nine and eight if everything fell according to plan. But it's this is the thing is, is you appreciate the effort. I think you're seeing the cornerstones of a team that could be good. But when it comes down to having your quarterback, your QB1, and unless you're ready to say right now that Gardner Minshew is your QB1, even when Anthony Richardson is healthy which I don't think happens, but I would consider it, is I don't see this, this, this Colts team going anywhere. And I think for me, and you're looking at the long-term prospects of a dude that can't stay healthy who's supposed to be your quarterback of the future, that's a big problem. And I don't know if any number of wins is going to change my opinion of that is this is where you put all your eggs. The all eggs are one basket. The Anthony Richardson basket and the dude can't stay healthy. And I don't even know if it's a thing where here's the thing. Cause people were saying, and we've said it too. Oh, he's got a slide and all that stuff. That's Anthony Richardson's game is being aggressive. And if you take that away from him, I think it neuters him a little bit as a quarterback. Well, and the plays he got hurt on, I mean, the concussion after a touchdown is, Pretty routine play. It wasn't like, an, and then yesterday the hit. Like none of these were aggre- like over aggressive, dirty plays. Right. 
These were normal plays within the flow of a football game. These are normal hits, to your point, yeah. right? They're, they're nothing tremendous. Uh, CK, keep the M&M show going in Indy, talking about Minshew and, and Moss. Moss. Yeah, I don't know how you take Moss. You, you subtract some, some carries from Moss right now after his last couple weeks in particular. But um, Minshew's there for a reason. It was, a fu- it was arguably the best. O- it was the best offseason signing for the Colts. It may have been the best offseason signing in the entire division. And it's worked out for the Colts. Maybe more than they thought it would. But with Richardson's inability to stay healthy and now out at least a month with that AC joint sprain, he's going to be the dude. Someone else texting in at 46862. Minshew is 2-0. Just keep rolling with him. Uh, Yeah, I mean, here's our thing. Before the season, we were all in on starting Minshew until there was pressure to do otherwise. And with the way things have gone so far, I, I don't know when that pressure would have come. Uh, but th- this is a a player who obviously knows the system well. He is a guy who's going to limit mistakes. Not going to be flashy. He can't make the crazy athletic plays that Anthony Richardson can. And Anthony Richardson, to be fair, to his credit, was excellent yesterday before the injury. 9-12. Um, the running was not really an aspect. That was a, a, a scramble. He got hurt on. Richardson was 9 of 12 for 98 yards, sacked one time before that injury. He was playing well. Um, I I don't think you can really discredit his effort either. But Minshew, we knew, would give him the best chance to do things and to see. Here's the thing. The Colts roster, was it's, it's not a top roster. They're not the Niners. But they're also not one of the worst rosters in the NFL. What happened last season between firing a coach midseason, bringing in Jeff Saturday, and that being a disaster outside the first game against the hapless Raiders. Um, the, the Colts were never really that bad. And then the simple fact is they were bad, and yet they still couldn't be one of the worst teams in the NFL. They were not right. within the, the top three draft picks. So that shows you how hard it is to be that bad. The Colts were never going to be that bad this year either. So it's just a matter of, you know, is this a... Five-win team, a six-win team, a seven-win team, or more. And I think I'm pushing toward the seven-win or even more category. Yeah, I, I mean, I was the guy that said six wins would be would show considerable progress by the Colts. They should shatter that. I, I think they're in line to get eight wins right now, my opinion. I don't think they're, they're winning any more than that. I don't think they're getting to double digits in dubs. Because like I said a couple weeks ago, this team lacks consistency. The team we saw yesterday, if it can come out and bottle up the run at Jacksonville, shut down Travis Etienne like it did Derrick Henry yesterday, if it can come out and avoid turnovers, if the offensive line can open up holes and and they can run for close to 200 yards, then yeah, maybe they can beat beat Jacksonville. But those aren't the Colts. The Colts every week, if they played like they did every week, like they did yesterday, they'd win a lot of games. The thing is, they don't. But here we are coming back around to Gardner Minshew. And as you said, you and I were, were on the Gardner Minshew train to start the season. Thought it would be best than Anthony Richardson sat and watched. Now he's going to be a dude that's sitting and watching for the better part of a month and Gardner Minshew plays. So here we are in the scenario that we liked best for Anthony Richardson. We just took a weird route to get there. <laughs> that we did. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, it's unfortunate that Richardson has been hurt because here's the the biggest thing that I've taken away outside of the injuries, which I think have been very fluky, to be honest. Um, The biggest thing is that he is more than capable 
Uh, everyone concerned about his accuracy. Yes, I, I get it. The numbers are kind of all over the place, but for the most part, he can make throws. He's shown the ability that all the hype was coming into the draft process and, and answered questions about the doubts that he had coming out of Florida. Now, staying healthy is obviously the, the concern number one. I think this feels like a blip. Like I'm not ready to just completely give up and, and write it off because I think that's it's easy to do after a tough start in the first handful of games. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's just injured all the time and is eventually labeled a bust. I don't think that's where we're headed. I think we're just looking at a rough rookie rookie year. I think he gets better. I think he gets healthy. And I don't think these are constant issues moving forward. Well, that's the hope. But as a texter pointed out on the text line, the plays he's gotten hurt on are not him being risky. They're normal plays. And I agree. Is he's he's taking regular hits that quarterbacks and players in the NFL take all the time. And he's getting hurt. So that's the worry. These aren't huge hits. These aren't dirty hits. These are just normal tackles or normal contact in the NFL. And he's getting hurt. But how much is that just getting adjusted to how much faster and different the NFL is? I get that he's a big dude. Yeah. So we thought that those kind of injuries would be limited a little. I mean, concussions, you can't really do a whole lot about. Right. But like what happened yesterday, it was a routine play. I can't disagree. But I think a lot of it's just getting adjusted to the NFL and figuring out what to do in situations. I don't know. I. It'd be so easy right now to say, oh, is 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 he going to be a bust because he just gets injured all the time? I'm not ready to go there. I think there's definite not. concerns. Yeah, there, I get that people are concerned, but I'm not, I'm not ready to. Right. I'm not right. ready to even let that take over. Uh, if the Colts are five and zero right now, curious if your analysis of the season would change. One made field goal last week, and the Colts are four and one. Five minutes left in week one. They're up on Jacksonville. They'd be five and zero. Not sure you can say yet they don't play well to what is needed. I don't play the what if game. No, the Colts you can't are who the they NFL. are. They're three and two. You could play that game with every team in the NFL. The NFL is very, very tight. Okay, between the top teams and the mediocre teams. The Colts are who they are. They're three and two. You can't play the what if game with that. You can't play the what if game with with that because you could do it for every team in the league. So the Colts are three and two. That's who they are. They're not five and zero. Oh, they're three and two. Yeah, I, I fully agree. It's a lot easier to do that with college football. You can't do that with the NFL because, again, I talk about this all the time. The margins are razor thin. And that is yes. true. Th- that is true. You see that week after week after week. If you have a team winning by more than a touchdown, that's an impressive win. Yeah, you look at, at, at yesterday, I'm, I'm counting, there are four, five, you know, five, six games decided by a single possession. Every one of those teams that lost is saying, what if? If this would have happened, we win that game. So you can't play the what-if game in the NFL. You just can't. You are who you are. And shout-out to Zaire Franklin for continuing to be one of the best linebackers in the league with what he did that. You mentioned the huge fourth-down stop of Derrick Henry late in the game. Another huge game with Shaq Leonard inactive. Um, it's it's time Not ideal, Zaire huh? Franklin for Shaq, gets, yeah, uh, for Shaq Leonard. gets paid um, and, and, Frank, uh, and, and uh, Leonard again, they said that it'd take them time and be till November. We'll see. I have my doubts. Yeah, it's not looking good for Shaq Leonard. I, credit credit deserving, though, for that secondary of Indianapolis. They gave up some yards to DeAndre Hopkins, but everybody does. When the Titans needed to execute vertically in the pass game, they really couldn't. And that's a testament both to that offensive front or that defensive front, excuse me, 
but also that secondary that we've had questions about considering how young it is, but they were very, very serviceable yesterday, albeit against a team that's not really a high-flying vertical offense. Let's be real. It's still stuck in 1987 with Derrick Henry. A couple other texts to get to on the Colts. Um, AR is an Anthony Richardson, RG3 2.0. Here's where I disagree. RG3 suffered an injury that severely limited his ability to do what he does best with the ACL. Um, Anthony Richardson has not had that yet. Like he's, he's not like maybe the shoulder on the throwing shoulder. Maybe that, that is the thing, but I just, I don't feel like we have that yet. Also, once again, no O-line to protect Anthony Richardson. I no, I I thought the offensive thought line, the line played pretty fine. well yesterday. Yeah, and he, Anthony he was Richardson sacked one time. Yeah, and he's not getting hurt, guys, on sacks. No, these are designed runs. Yes. that he's running on. Okay, so it's not like he's getting pummeled in the pocket or anything. When he's getting hurt, he's out in the open field running. That's not on the offensive line. Uh, someone else. Why would they give Taylor that massive contract now? If you're going to do that, why not do it two months ago? Oh, those are all things we're going to address coming up around 8.05 in hour number two of the show. Speaking of bad O-line play, though, uh, Notre Dame, bad O-line play, bad play all around. Uh, we'll get into what happened in their loss to Louisville and why it goes just beyond the players and the coaches for the blame. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Monday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you, 46862. Your text line number, again, 46862. Just type in CK first and your questions, your comments, your rants. Uh, Notre Dame fans, if you want to rant, feel free to send those rants over to us now. You can also stream us, 1380thefan.com. Listen for free there. Listen for free on the 1380thefan app, free to download, or on your smart speaker. And if you miss anything on the show, you can always download previous episodes on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, all for free. A lot to unpack with what happened with Notre Dame on Saturday night down in Louisville. Uh, you could you could put blame any number of places. Marcus Freeman saying in the in the post game, our players weren't ready. Our that's our a problem. Play, uh, yeah, that's a problem. That's on you. Also. Why are you saying our players? You should be saying we. I thought that was a weird quote to say. Uh, you have Jared Parker, the offensive coordinator, who seems to be in over his head. Uh, his time at West Virginia should have made that clear. Uh, but Marcus Freeman going with a, a, a guy who was not the first choice, right? Alex Ludwig from Utah was the first choice, and there was discrepancies on the buyout, and that leaked, made Notre Dame look really bad, and of course those situations always more complicated as we learned than you know what was put out there initially. Uh, you have Jack Swarbrick failing the team with with the schedule. It's an absurd schedule. Eight straight weeks playing games, including having to go to Ireland and then come back and play. I know it was Tennessee State, but you still have to prep. It's still a game. It's still and a game. The the the. Being built in, I mean, Notre Dame probably didn't think they'd be playing four straight night games against ranked <laughs> opponents. No. Come after, you know, the USC game this this Saturday. I mean, you can't build that into a schedule. But I think when you look at Notre Dame and and opening it up to the text line of Notre Dame fans is what do you blame? Because there's 
multiple ways to go. Oh, and I didn't even mention Sam Hartman, who, let's be honest, was bad. Can we just, can we admit? QBR of 27. Bad game. Not great. Couple fumbles. Five turnovers. He had five turnovers last year against Louisville, so this is nothing new. The the loss could also be pinned on him in the offensive line. The offensive line was not good. It was terrible. The play calling's terrible. They haven't been good since the Ohio State game, to be clear. I think last week's last second win at Duke made Jared Parker think that what he was doing was right when it's not. I don't know how many times Notre Dame is going to run in short yardage into a run blitz and not get it. They once again averaged uh, bad offensively, running the ball one and a half yards per rush. This was supposed to be this vaunted offensive front with two first-round picks and this vaunted four, five-deep uh, cadre of running backs that couldn't do anything against Louisville. Louisville. I mean, Louisville's good. But we're not talking Michigan here. We're not talking Georgia. We're not talking Washington or Oregon. Notre Dame had 28 run plays for 44 yards, 1.6 average. That's not getting it done. And continued to try to run in short yardage. Now, credit to Louisville and Jawar Jordan, who was excellent, right? He's a good player. This was not a surprise. Well, there's more arm tackles for Notre Dame. That's another thing you could blame if you're a Notre Dame fan. So when you look at it, Notre Dame goes to combine three of 15 on third and fourth down. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. If you don't think that Jared Parker should be one and done as an offensive coordinator, I don't know what to tell you. Because he's a major problem for this team. If Marcus Freeman wants to save his job, well, which I don't we, think his job's in jeopardy yet. Uh, that's so tough to but, talk about. Like, no, his job isn't in jeopardy. But if right he now. wants to keep Parker back next year, then I yeah, I think that's a mistake. You have, once again, I think you're just underutilizing Sam Hartman. To be sure, he wasn't good on Saturday, okay? But the opportunities are few and far between. When that game was close, to put the hand the ball in the hands of an elite quarterback, which you think Sam Hartman is. But once again, they just are so infatuated with running the football. and It's just so blissfully unaware of what's going on with Jared Parker. And it turned out at Duke that it turned out in the end to be okay. Because of Sam Hartman. But once again, you just fall back into this trap of, oh, we're Notre Dame. We have this powerful offensive line, which you don't. And we're just going to run it down people's throats. It's archaic thinking, and it's costing Notre Dame games. Couple of texts rolling in. CK Ohio State beat an overrated and overranked Notre Dame team. Uh, meanwhile, someone else texting in. Marcus Freeman equals Mike Davis. Unproven coach given a job that was way out of his league. As the current players put pressure on admin, never late, never let inmates run the asylum. I'm not there yet with Marcus Freeman. I'll give him another year. I, I agreed that he's an unproven coach. And these were the growing pains that you were going to go through. This is what Notre Dame put signed themselves up for when they promoted Marcus Freeman. And his inability, I think, to can to hire a proven offensive coordinator has proven to be un, uh, his undoing. Look at Al Golden. Okay. He has been perfect in making mid-game adjustments. Louisville goes down first drive of the game, scores a touchdown. And the place is rocking. Louisville doesn't score again until the third quarter. The defense did its job, especially in that first half, to put Notre Dame in a position to recapture the momentum. All Notre Dame could do was score a single touchdown in that first half. And then you let Louisville start believing that they're in the game. And that continued to foster and foster in the second half, and Louisville wins it going away. 
But Al Golden is phenomenal at making mid-game adjustments. Jared Parker is incapable of doing that. How many times he continues to run the ball up the gut, trying to turn the corner when you can't with that offensive line that's subpar and a defense that continues to run blitz, run blitz, run blitz, and you just run right into it. Notre Dame on on third and short, third and three or less, uh, face that four times against Louisville. Lost yardage in all four scenarios. Because they continued to try to run up the middle into run blitzes. And Louisville was telegraphing those run blitzes, and still Jared Parker called those plays. And I don't know, guy. I I really don't. Does Sam Hartman have the ability to audible? (laughs) Right? I mean, does he? I don't know. Or does he have to run the play? Because there are several instances on Saturday night where it was clear that a rush was coming and either Sam Hartman is incapable of seeing that pre-snap or he's not allowed to audible. And I don't know what the answer is. And maybe that'll be a question for Tom Loy later this week when we get him on. Is Sam Hartman allowed to audible? Because if he's as good of a quarterback as people like to think he is, you'd think he'd be able to recognize some of these things pre-snap. Or is Jared Parker saying, you run the play, I give you? The, the other thing is Notre Dame's receivers were another no-show uh, against Louisville, eight catches for 87 yards, or excuse me, nine catches for 87 yards. Didn't convert a single third down. Their last third or fourth down conversion, third quarter against Ohio State. With the receivers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mitchell Evans continues to be your best receiver, and he's not a Travis Kelsey type. This isn't a guy that's that's beating you over the top, okay? He's beating you underneath and finding holes in zones. And he does a really good job at that. But who's really extending the field. You had Jordan Faison be that dude on Saturday. And nobody knows who Jordan Faison is if you're a casual viewer. You and I didn't know who the hell that guy is. Jaden Thomas, just two catches. Tobias Merriweather, one catch. Um, Chris Tyree, three catches. Uh, Chris Tyree should have had four. I, I mean, I know a lot of people want to talk about the the play uh, the what was it was it a face mask? I can't remember that Maris Leofau had on defense that really sealed it for Louisville. Right, but to me, the play that sealed it maybe on the offensive side of the ball was Chris Ty- Tyree dropping a sure touchdown pass from Sam Hartman. Hartman finally had something open in yeah. the secondary to receiver, and he just dropped. He just it. dropped. It. There, there's no other way to say it. He dropped it. It was going to be a touchdown. Uh, four six eight six two. The text line. Keep the text coming. Notre Dame looked exhausted. Brutal schedule, and if they play that way against SC, it's a blowout. I don't know if this is. I don't want this to come off as an excuse. I don't because it's not really. But Notre Dame's schedule: where you play eight straight games, and you have one in Ireland to start the season. Then you have to come back, and there's no rest. It's just week after week after week after week after week after week after week. They've lucky games. they've been as healthy as they have been. Yes, but you have to go to NC State, and I know there's a couple gimmies on that schedule, but you still have to prep for Tennessee State. You still have to prep for Central Michigan. You don't have this week where you can look at your program as a whole and make some changes, but then you start this stretch of Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, USC, and it's just an absolute grind. And this is a blame on um jack swarbrick to, for the for the stupid scheduling to go to, to ireland to open the schedule and not giving this team an early bye week to recover from that it's just been successive weeks time and time again they finally get a bye week after usc could have used it could have used know, it a saturday couple, right or this saturday 
and and now they're going into their to, to the biggest game of the year now without a bye week. They're just stumbling into this thing. And and then they'll have two games and they go to Clemson, they have a bye week after that. It's just it's poor schedule management. But I I can't say that that's the the primary reason why Notre Dame lost on Saturday. Is it, it doesn't help. But I think what you're seeing is the problems that have been magnified week after week after week. They have not had the time to address them because they haven't had a bye week. And I think with Jared Parker's issues with the offense cannot be properly addressed and analyzed because they don't have time. It's come around Monday. You got to start prepping for another ranked opponent, seemingly. And that's been the case the last month. We'll talk in hour number two about uh, why Notre Dame maybe should have some hope for the game against USC. Uh, at least that's what Vegas thinks. Someone else texting in, CK, it's all about raking in money for Notre Dame. Well, that's seemingly what Jer- what Jack Swarbrick saw. Oh, yeah. unique opportunity to go Ireland. They've done it before, blah, blah, blah. Open up the this, this schedule the season there. That's great. Unique atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. But it just puts your team behind the eight ball right away from the jump is having to go around the world, across the world to play a game, then come back and play another game. And then after that, you have to play another game and another game and another game and another game. And it just, it compounds things. And I agree that this team, to a certain extent, looks exhausted. But I'm not going to say that's the reason why this team lost to Louisville. It surely doesn't help. And it surely isn't going to help prepping for USC now. But it's definitely a concern. And that's on Jack Swarbrick. It's a bad schedule. Especially with a young staff, right? Yes. I mean, especially with a young head coach that's just trying to figure things out in only his second year, he has no time to process things. And and Marcus Freeman, whether you agree that he can be a successful coach at Notre Dame long-term or not, is learning on the fly. And he needs time to process things. And he isn't having time right now. It is, at this point, survival every week to get to that bye week. And that's not it's not a good schedule. This is a schedule you build for a Brian Kelly where you have eight straight weeks of games and he knows what he's doing and knows how to handle his veteran staff, et cetera, et cetera. Not a dude that's in his second season as a head coach and not for a offensive coordinator that is in his first year of calling plays at Notre Dame. And let's be real, wasn't very effective at West Virginia. Coming up on the other side, speaking of not being very effective, Purdue, not effective at all against Iowa. They struggle again. The path to a bowl game gets exceedingly difficult. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for being with us. 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Several other texts on Notre Dame before I want to touch on Purdue. Uh, Notre Dame looked outcoached all game. That fourth quarter was brutal. Yeah, Marcus Freeman's body language does not lend, like, positivity. Have you ever noticed this? Well, not when things are going... Like he, it, it not it, well. It, yeah, it it just looks exceedingly bad. Uh, someone else CK with that winning. It's OSU coming up. Aha. Uh, someone else's talking schedule. About Purdue. Talking about Purdue with that Ohio oh, State. Game oh, gotcha. Up. Hey, hey, you never know. Uh, someone else. The schedule was made out several years ago, and no one knew if Duke and Louisville would be that good. So to say the scheduling, you don't know that. And besides, the schedule was set before Brian Kelly move on. No, no, but- it wasn't. It was not set because the the. The Navy game was moved after 2020, so yeah, no, it was, it was 2021. Set. It was set, and here's here's the thing: Notre Dame is Notre Dame. You could say, "Hey, 
Tennessee State, we're moving your game to mid-October. And you know what? Tennessee State's going to go, hey, whatever we need to do. Yeah. We'll move our games if we have to. We'll play Notre Dame at Notre Dame whenever the hell you want. So that's no excuse. You can move games. And yes, you're correct. That, that Navy game was scheduled in 2021, and you can move a game. They should have had the week off after Navy. It's stupid to have to come back from Ireland and play a game. And I know it's Tennessee State and it's a pushover, but you still have to prep for that game. I'm not, it's not an excuse, but it is reasoning and why it's, it's a dumb reason to have eight straight games to start the season when you're perfectly capable of buying out a game or moving a game because you're Notre Dame. Meanwhile, Purdue struggled again offensively on, on, on Saturday. This was a very winnable game against an Iowa team that you know offensively stinks, but defensively and, and on special teams is quite good. Purdue had their chances. Um, Hudson Card, once again, I, call me crazy, and, and clearly the other options must be that bad. Like Michael uh, Alemo must must be that bad. But you were texting me, bench Hudson Card. Like, is there, are they at this point? I mean, two interceptions. Uh, this, this is a guy who is just simply not getting it done. I, I, I mean, this is an Iowa team that I think Purdue should have been much closer in this game. And it was really not as close as the final score set. Yeah, Deacon Hill making his first start for Iowa at quarterback. 6 of 21, 110 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Negative uh, 25 yards rushing. Six, six completions all yes, game. Six. You lost a game in 2023 where the, the opposing team had six completions. That should not happen. Silliness. I, I I get it that this is the first year of Ryan Walters. I'm not calling for his job or anything here, but at some point, do you have to make an adjustment? Uh, because Purdue had more time of possession. In fact, basically 11 minutes more on this game. They they had a lot more on offense than Iowa. 343 to 241. They were nine of th- 19 on third down compared to Iowa's three of 13, and yet Purdue lost this game. And I get it. Iowa used the ground. They outrushed Purdue 181 to 96. But th- th- this is troubling when you look at some of these numbers. I thought that Hudson Card coming in was going to be a big, big push for this Purdue program. As did I, obviously. And he hasn't been. All of a sudden, you're looking at Marcos Davila, who's the four star commit for Purdue in the class of 2024 as is this dude going to come in and challenge for the QB one job right away? Six, three two thirty. He's out of Midland, Texas, hotbed of, of high school football, right? Can he be a dude that comes in and usurps Hudson card because Hudson card has not been as expected. Maybe one Texas QB can come in and replace another Texas QB and be better for Purdue because this offense is not good. And and you, and you can't say it's not because they don't have you know good offensive minds. I mean, Graham Harrell's had success at other programs. I, I just I am baffled by what we saw out of Purdue because to me that was a winnable game. You win that game, you feel like the season's back on track, and now suddenly you look at the rest of the schedule, and Purdue is is going to have to do quite well because you have Ohio State, you have at Michigan. The other games at Nebraska, Minnesota at home, at Northwestern, IU at home that, that closes out the season. 
you got to win all four of those uh, games against unranked teams to get to bowl eligibility. So effectively, you're looking at beating Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern, and IU to get a bowl eligibility. Yes. Not out of the realm of possibility. No. But, but zero margin for error. I don't see this team right now capable of going to Lincoln and beating Nebraska. Nebraska is nothing to, to be excited about, but they just went to Illinois and beat Illinois in Champaign. I mean, from what we saw out of Purdue on Saturday, that's not a team that can go to Nebraska and win. And now they have injuries along the offensive line. And can they protect Hudson Card? Even if they can protect him, does that even worth anything? Because he's not proven anything. Other than Devin Mockaby, you had zero offense on Saturday. I mean, a decent, decent game for TJ Sheffield. But he had the... Just think about this. TJ Sheffield had six receptions on on Saturday. That was the amount of completions that <laughs> Iowa had the entire game and yet Purdue lost. And for most of the game they were double they were down double digit scores. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they had again, the trash touchdown the, at the end. The final score is closer than what this game was. And I know they had the ball with a chance to win, but uh, it, it was a bad it wasn't that close for Purdue on Saturday. Not a good effort. Meanwhile, IU has hired former Virginia Tech and Memphis coach Justin Fuente. Really? As an analyst. I didn't know which that. I find very fascinating. Uh, and head coach in waiting? Is that what I hear? <laughs> no. No? No, I don't think so. Uh, we'll take a timeout coming up, hour number two of the show. The Jonathan Taylor deal, good for him and good for the Colts. We'll explain the numbers next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, spirited discussion in hour number one. Thanks for everyone chipping in on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862 is how you reach us on there. Also, you can stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app. Again, free to download or your smart speaker. And you can follow us on Twitter, Caleb Kinney 1380 is our show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J. Kenny OPS. The station handle is 1380 The Fans. So that's how you get in touch with us. Coming up this hour on the show, Jonathan Taylor, the deal, why it's good for him and also good for the Colts. We'll explain that shortly. Plus, Notre Dame fans, they may have given up on Saturday night's game against USC. Vegas disagrees. We'll get to that. And high school football sectionals, the draw is set in a controversial topic seemingly that comes up every year on sectional play. I'll explain why that is not needed. And a bear goes sailing. Uh, We'll get to that about 8.50 or so. All to come this hour on the show. So Jonathan Taylor, the news came out Saturday morning, three-year, $42 million deal with the Colts. He's back. He's with Indy through 2026. That's key. We'll get to that momentarily. But this deal, all about the the details. $26.5 million guaranteed. Um, only $19.3 million is fully guaranteed. It effectively becomes $26.5 million based on how these, these contracts work. That's still less than two franchise tags. So that's key. And the salary cap number for Jonathan Taylor stays the same. Also key. And the biggest thing... That I think that sticks out, and I think you mentioned this to me as well. The earliest time for Anthony Richardson 
to get a new deal. A second contract with the Colts would be January of 2026. That just so happens to be the last year that Jonathan Taylor, uh, 2026, would be under contract. So they would both be reaching that point as Richardson's on his rookie deal and Taylor's wrapping up his second contract. And that's why I think this is something that works for the Colts. Because conceivably, if everything goes according to plan for how the Colts would like it, is Anthony Richardson in 2026 is ready to get big money from the Indianapolis Colts. And that's why I think that deal is only three years long because it, it opens the door then if you need to pay stupid money to Anthony Richardson, you're not going to have to pay stupid money to Jonathan Taylor. But it's an escalating contract, too, for Jonathan Taylor. He'll get $5.1 million this year, which was already set, and then 2024, 10.8 goes up to $15.5 million for 25 and 26. So Jonathan Taylor gets paid. And I think a texter in the first hour said, how did how did we get here from when it seemingly um, was the Colts and, and Taylor going separate ways? It's a very good question. I, I like to think adults became adults and sat down, had cordial conversations and hammered this thing out. Yeah, it's it's great because we, we don't really know how this a sudden shift was made. Um, who who who? Offered the olive branch. I have to think it's the Colts. I would think so too. Because Jonathan Taylor was thoroughly disgruntled for no real meaningful extension being offered. It had to have been the Colts. A report out there that Chris Ballard reached out to Taylor's camp last week, initiated the dialogue that led to this. Either way, people got this to happen and and Taylor's agent Malkikawa tweeted for the shoe. After this all happened, which, whatever. For the Taylor. Um, yeah, for the Taylor. Yeah. As he gets his his payment too, <laughs> right? Let's yes. not forget that. Uh, he gets his cut uh, of the deal being the agent. But th- this is the thing to me. You, we saw the contract terms. I thought, wow, that's big. But the number's always inflated. The, the guaranteed amount is always quite a bit less. And for the Colts... We were talking three years and twenty six and a half million guaranteed effectively. I mean, that's still less money than he wanted, right? So yeah, but a lot. That's still a lot of money guaranteed. It's a lot. It's a lot. But especially. his salary cap number is the same, and that right. that to me is the biggest thing in all of this. At least this year, going at next year, now it doubles, and then it goes up another five and a half million in twenty five and twenty six. So it's an escalating contract for sure. But now Jonathan Taylor is up with the elite in terms of making money in the NFL at the running back position. So he's there up there with Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, dudes that are getting paid. And now the pressure is on Jonathan Taylor to perform. Everybody wants to point to that 1,800-yard effort and 18 touchdowns in 2021, but you need to see that again. And I know people say, well, he was he was hurt last year. He wasn't hurt the entire season. He was ineffective, and then he got hurt. So I don't think that's a a and, and that was that was the Colts kind of point was, you know, you really haven't done anything consistently. Um, but if but then the Taylor camp was saying he well, he rushed for almost three thousand yards and twenty nine touchdowns in his first two years. You go, yeah, if you look at it that way. But the the most recent performance wasn't good. So good to see the two parties come together, get it done. Now you look at Jonathan Taylor and say, 
it's time to perform. It's time to be a Christian McCaffrey. It's time to be a Derrick Henry in this offense because that's what he's getting paid like. And you have to remember, like, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into what he did yesterday. I'm not even putting a whole lot of stock the rest of this month because he's going to be essentially on a pitch count. As we mentioned, they're going to ramp him up. Makes sense, right? Um, But at some point, I mean, after Zach Moss's performance yesterday, the Colts now have to feel really good about that position because you got two guys who could be starters for most teams in this league. Yeah, that's the thing. Zach Moss has been nothing if short of nothing short of tremendous. And in this league, you need multiple running backs. The very few teams are trying to go the Derrick Henry route where you just have a bell cow dude that you give the ball to twenty five well, times. A even game. they, you know, kind of found a, a, a backup. Again, yeah. he's a rookie, but they found another option for them. You have to have two dudes. And who's to say you don't start lining both of them up on either side of Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson and run a two-back set? Uh, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless with those two guys. And now the, the onus now is going on and say, okay, you've gotten a weapon, an all-pro weapon in the backfield back, and you have a dude in Zach Moss that's running the best he has in his entire career. So could be worse. In the backfield for the Indianapolis Colts, outside of that, you know, small little injury to Anthony Richardson that's going to sideline him for a month. Your stomach just growl? Did I hear that? Yeah, yeah, I did. That was loud. My apologies. It's right around this time of the morning where my stomach starts. Uh, hey, we're hungry. You, you down eat here. breakfast? No, I don't. I, I don't have time. You, you, you don't have time. Like you don't grab like a, a granola bar like out the door. Sometimes I do, but I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing uh, okay. where then I don't. Uh, uh, usually the schedule is around nine o'clock, nine thirty. I can eat. Okay, so, so you do do what do you do? Twelve hours a day? Do Fourteen hours? Fourteen hours? Okay. Usually it's. A I have nice a friend so, who does this, so I'm yeah. familiar, and he he said it's worked quite well for him. Has it? Uh, it's it's okay for me. Um, he he doesn't eat after like yeah, like seven or eight or something like that. Yeah, I, usually I, I do like seven, but like last night I didn't get home till eight thirty, so I had to eat late. Mm-hmm. So it kind of throws that up. But usually I do fourteen hours. But anyway, yeah, around this time my my stomach is like, hey, we haven't eaten in twelve hours, dude. Like we're getting hungry. <laughs> it was quite loud. That that's all. I hope you're okay. I mean, we can get you a snack I, during I, no, the break I think we're if all you set. need to. I think we're all set. We're good. Okay, it's passed. Okay, uh, but with with John and the Taylor, look, I'm not expecting. A hundred yard performance this week. I, I don't even think we're going to see him. You know what? They they probably gave him between carries and and touches and number of snaps. What twenty snaps on Sunday? Twenty thirty snaps. Yeah, which they said they'd ease him in six carries. I mean, maybe you you try to get him between rushes and and passes like ten this week and just keep ramping up. But with what Zach Moss did yesterday. For the Colts, I mean, it, this is a great bonus. I mean, if you're Zach Moss, you have to be annoyed. You go out and play one the best game of your career right as Jonathan Taylor comes back. But I think this is a, a good spot for the Colts to be in. And having that second option after they trade away Naheem Hines, I mean, you have to feel really good about what they have at running back moving forward. You do. An effective two-headed monster, and this team's going to be better for it as long as that offensive line continues to perform, which admittedly it has the last couple weeks. And I will say, for all everything that was dumb over the last week, it's it's gla- or last week, <laughs> the last, what, eight weeks, ten weeks, however long this has been, it's, it's good that people found a resolution and we can move forward. You could that, say that, that 
the uh, the the dumpster fire that was the Colts last season and, and most of the the uh, the off season, that's been put out. The 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 Indianapolis Colts have solved seemingly the majority of their issues, at least behind the scenes. So that's progress, and the fact that the team's three and two also helps as well. Four six eight six two, your text line number four six eight six two. Meanwhile, on the other side, Notre Dame fans may not have the belief, but Vegas still does. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us on a Monday. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just type in CK first, your questions, your comments, your rants, whatever you have, send them our way. So Notre Dame, we, we talked about it, hour number one. Tons of issues. Tons of p- people you could place some blame at, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's Sam Hartman, the offensive line, even the AD with the scheduling to some extent. Um, who am I forgetting? I, I mean, there, there's uh, a lot of blame to go you around. You blame with. Louisville, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, mean, I, mean, let's, I do let's... have to say this. We didn't touch on this, but Jeff Brom, credit <laughs> to him for what he's done. Now, that's a job he's never going to leave, right? As long as he no. can be there, he's not Oops. leaving Louisville. And he finally, uh, they're able to to finally get him to return home. That program, year one, with Jack Plummer, who, who followed him from Purdue at quarterback. You have Jawar Jordan, who's, who's had an excellent year as a running back. Um, year one to have that defense playing the way they played. It's a it's become a good defense. The offense has done more than enough. I mean, six and zero, great start, great story for what he's done and turning that around so quickly. Yeah, he's he's been phenomenal and good for Louisville, man. I mean, they haven't been good in what they were in the top five one at like what ten years ago. Uh, yeah, like twenty ago. what twenty sixteen. I mean, with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, right. So it's been a minute that Louisville. They're six and zero right now, and that place was rocking on on Saturday. Had all the reason to be. I pass the stadium every time I'm heading down to Florida. Usually in the dead of night, and um. It was a pretty cool. Biggest crowd in Louisville history, football history. It's not a traditional power, and and it's always nice to see that in college football when we're so top-heavy at the top, and the same teams are up there all the time. So for a team like Louisville to have the start they're having, I'm sure Purdue fans aren't too happy with Jeff Brom there, but pretty cool to see what Coach Brom and, and Louisville's accomplished so far this year. But Notre Dame this week, uh, another big game, another night game, another ranked opponent. Rinse, repeat from what it's been for the last month. Uh, but they host USC at Notre Dame Stadium. Obviously a big rivalry game. USC now ranked 10th. Notre Dame dropped to 21st. And I think a lot of people and, and Notre Dame fans obviously frustrated after the performance Saturday night. There's This is a huge opportunity for Notre Dame. And you got to remember... Notre Dame last year with a, a much lesser capable quarterback. Uh, uh, you could argue a lesser talented team. They didn't have as much depth. I mean, I guess they were maybe better. They had more, maybe more star players, but less depth across the board. And they played USC close on the road. This year they have a better quarterback. They have, uh, they're just a lot more consistent across the board. The defense seems to be a lot better. And USC is a team 
Came into the preseason with a lot of hype. College football playoff contender, obviously a Pac-12 contender. Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman winner. But this is a USC team that, outside of a couple of, of early gimme games in the season against San Jose, San Jose State, Nevada, and a very bad Stanford program, they have struggled the last three weeks against teams that they probably should have won pretty easily against. And it's been a lot closer than expected. They've struggled defensively, but they're still scoring a hell of a lot of points. And this is why the onus is going to be on the defense for Notre Dame on Saturday night. I don't think this offense for Notre Dame right now, as, as bad as that defense is for USC, is all of a sudden going to break out and score 40 points. Maybe not even 35. Not with Jared Parker running that show. And that's going to be that's going to put pressure on the Notre Dame defense to take on what will be the most difficult offense to face all season. All due respect to Ohio State. Caleb Williams, if he hadn't won the Heisman last year, would win the Heisman this year. He's not going to win it this year because nobody wins back-to-back Heismans. But the dude's already thrown for 1,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, one interception. He's torching teams. And Notre Dame's defense better be up for the task because I don't know if this offense can score enough to get into a 45-42 type shootout. USC averaging 51.5 points per contest but giving up 27. They have the second best scoring offense but tied for 79th worst scoring defense which is something you really have to keep in mind. And and they're great, obviously, passing the football third in the FBS. Notre Dame, though, is strong in, in the secondary. So that that's going to be kind of the thing to watch. And obviously, Caleb Williams is a guy who's going to scramble and make plays. He is like Patrick Mahomes and uh, what Patrick Mahomes does. Here's the thing I find fascinating. Notre Dame is open as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, huh. according to Vegas. And I'm not surprised and, and by we're this. We're always saying Vegas knows. Uh, and, here's and, here's my biggest thing. As great as Caleb Williams is, USC's defense is that bad or worse. And that's saying something. I really, I, look, call me crazy, I think Notre Dame wins this on Saturday night because USC will finally play a team that has a, a decent defense. I mean, they're struggling against a Colorado team without Travis Hunter. And they won by a touchdown. Colorado team that can't play any defense without Travis Hunter. An Arizona team they beat in triple overtime Saturday night. USC fell behind 17 to nothing at home. At home. And they were lucky to win this game. Against Arizona State on the road. Against a really bad Arizona State team. And this is a game that USC had to uh, basically put this game away in the fourth quarter because it was a six-point game at the end of the third with USC in the league. Uh, Arizona State got it as, as close uh, outside of tying it at seven. But in the second quarter, or excuse me, third quarter, they cut it to three at one point. So this is not a good Arizona State team. They're one in three. Or excuse me, uh, one in five. They've lost five straight. Their only win against a bad Southern Utah team. So USC's defense has problems. They had the luxury on Saturday night of playing at home. They obviously don't have that luxury this Saturday. I think we're in line for Notre Dame fixing a lot of things with the win against USC. Here's the problem is I look at Colorado has a better pass offense than Notre yes. Dame does. Arizona has a better pass offense 
than Notre Dame does. Jacob Cowing and uh, who's our other receiver? McMillan. They've yeah. combined for 13 pass reception touchdowns. Yeah, but Cowling went down early in that game, early True. in the first half. But overall, you look at that passing offense for Arizona, it's better than Notre Dame's. So that's my thing, is Colorado and Arizona have better wide receivers than Notre Dame does. And I know people will moan and groan about that, but I'm talking about proven production, and both of those teams do, even Arizona. Who makes plays for Notre Dame offensively. Mitchell Evans. <laughs> it can't just be Mitchell Evans. I, I know, but that is the but guy who the makes thing. plays. But you have to have somebody else. You have, to have, you have to have dudes that can take the top off defenses. Where is Jaden Thomas? Where are these receivers? They're nowhere to be found. To the point that a dude's making catches on Saturday that nobody other than beat writers and true hardcore Notre Dame fans even know who the hell it is. So I never heard of the, the walk-on, to be honest. Is he a walk-on or does he actually have he's a scholarship? A, a I don't even know. Like a walk-on dude had your, your longest play from scrimmage in Saturday's game. Where are these scholarship receivers? And make no mistake, this has been a problem all preseason long. Nobody emerged in camp. Nobody has emerged through the season. And that's what's hurt Notre Dame. And you could say, maybe if, if you're a Jared Parker defender, if anybody's out there, maybe his mom's listening, you could say, well, the reason they're running so much is because they have no game-breaking receivers. And they're going to need some big plays out of those receivers to have a shot to beat USC because they're going to have to keep up. USC is going to score 30 points at least. And that would still be pretty good for Notre Dame to hold them to 30 points. Can Notre Dame's offense score more than 30? I don't know yet. I don't know. I feel like this is a a Notre Dame team where everyone's going to focus on the passing attack, and I get that. But I think Notre Dame is just going to go into this game. They're going to be able to run the ball again. They weren't able to against Louisville, but I think they'll be able to run the ball. They'll manhandle USC up front, and that will be the, the key in this game, is running the football, the burn clock, the wear USC's defense down. Not that that means a whole lot. USC has the... 89th best rushing defense. But I think, you know, Jared Parker... Giving up 157 yards a game. He felt that way against Duke, and they needed to pass their way to a, to, a, to a win. He tried that against Louisville, and it failed miserably. I'm sure they'll have some running success against USC. Will they have enough to keep up with the Trojans on the scoreboard? That's my question. I think you just... You, you wear down USC's defense and make Caleb Williams have to... I mean, USC scores so fast, right? And people have talked about this. The fact that they score so fast, is that part of the problem with not only USC, but Lincoln-Riley teams in general? Is that you put your defense in bad spots because offensively they're scoring a lot of drives in two minutes or less? Potentially. But USC is a tremendous challenge for that defense and the offense. Everybody, and this is the thing, is USC's looking at the same thing, is, hey, this is going to be beneficial for our defense because we're not playing a very dynamic Notre Dame offense. So what gives? 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Uh, someone texting, Jack Swarbrick should be fired. No school in the FBS who has played eight games without a bye and all the night games, um, plus throwing the ball, second, 25, third, and 30, could have taken at least 70 seconds off the clock. Um, 
I think that's about a different game there. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it the schedule, and we touched on this in hour number one, the schedule set them up for failure. Now, the night game part, Notre Dame has no control about that. And if I'm Notre Dame, and if I'm these college football programs, maybe you want to say in the, the scheduling of the time slots for these games, because four straight night games is absurd. Yeah. And I don't know how much that impacts things as much as you're playing games. My thing is, it's eight straight weeks with games. Whether you're playing at 3.30 or 7.30, does that really matter? I don't know if it does. Uh, you have to have different preparations. I get it, but it's four hours difference. It's not like you're, you're playing on short weeks or anything. I look more at the eight straight weeks with games. It's just an absolute grind. And, and that's the part that you, you can't overlook no matter what. I, I mean, yes, I get it that some of these games were, were easy early in the year, but there are no easy games left. I mean, you could, you could maybe say Stanford on the road, but that's your final game of the year. There could be a lot on the line there. Who knows? By the time you get there. Um, I just, I don't think the AD even thought about that, these elements, because again, the Navy game was a late addition as far as playing it in Dublin as, as opposed to the regular rotation. So yeah, it's something that not wise did not help them do them any favors Four six eight six two. the text line number four, six, eight, six, two. Uh, someone said, uh, they'll bet a case of beer on Williams winning the Heisman. He's not winning the Heisman guys. I don't think not he's winning, winning back to back. He's not winning it. He may deserve it, but he's not winning it. Michael Penix Jr. is winning it, especially after he torches Oregon coming up on Saturday. There you go. There's your guy. Uh, on, on the other side, high school football sectional draws were held yesterday and all the chirping once again, people complaining about the setup. I'll tell you why they're wrong. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. A couple of texts about Notre Dame and scheduling coming in. Uh, CK Notre Dame schedule built based on one thing, maximizing income. Not a criticism, just the way it is. Uh, I feel like I disagree only because the ACC games, how is that maximizing your income? Playing an FCS team, how is that maximizing your income? Right? I, I mean, like it, the the ACC, Notre Dame has benefited because they're playing the, these games largely as far as the marquee ones on the road, but Wake Forest at home later this year, how's that maximizing income? Well, I and I think too is is Notre Dame has benefited in recent years from the ACC not being very good. Well, yeah, they won not thirty the straight games. They yeah. finally lost one, and this isn't the case this year. Louisville's undefeated. Florida State's undefeated. North Carolina's undefeated. Duke only has one loss to Notre Dame. Clemson's still pretty good. NC State is decent. Miami was good up until <laughs> Mario Cristobal screwed things over on Saturday. They were undefeated prior to that loss to Georgia. Miami Tech. North Carolina was supposed to be a top fifteen matchup until he failed to take a knee. So I think the the biggest thing you can take out of this season so far with the ACC is it's actually deep in how good it is, which you haven't been able to say in quite some time. Uh, another text. I agree. Notre Dame schedule is tough. How do you have two buys at the end of the year instead in the middle? Notre Dame is just not tough either side of the ball, and it shows. I feel like defensively they are. Now, tackling continues to be a question yeah, that's, mark. Uh, you think Al Golden should, but, but that's the thing, is if you had a buy, could you actually work on, oh, I don't know, maybe tackling form and all that stuff? And work? Instead, you come in and now Monday, 
And you don't have any time for that. You got to start prepping for USC. And how much is the tackling just the fact of eight exhaustion? Weeks? Yeah. Yeah. That said, tackling has been a problem for the majority of the season, not just recently. But no. I do think some of the problems for Notre Dame is the fact that they're having to play eight straight weeks. Bad, bad job by Jack Swarbrick. He has enough money, he's sitting on enough money to buy any one of those teams out, particularly a Central Michigan, a Tennessee State, to say, hey, you know what? Here's your money. Hopefully you'll come play us later this season in, in mid-October. But if not, here's your cash. We'll find another game. We need a break. My second-year head coach that's still figuring things out can't be playing eight straight weeks. And our first-year offensive coordinator can't be playing eight straight weeks. And oh, by the way, our kids can't either. But they allowed this to happen. The ACC is actually good. And you put all that stuff together, and it's been an absolute grind for Notre Dame. Uh, someone's uh, also texting about Purdue. Where does Boiler football go now with what looks like a lost season? Eh, I mean, it's the first year with a, a new head coach and his first year as being a head I, I don't know. I'm not that I'm not that concerned. Uh, what's more concerning is that Hudson Card has not panned out to be the, the player I think we thought he'd be. That Purdue fans and Purdue coaches thought he'd be. That's, that's what's of more concern to me. This team was just good enough last year to beat the mediocre teams on its schedule, particularly on the road. It's not this year. It can't, it didn't find a way to beat Iowa. It makes me think that when they go to Nebraska at the end of the month, that's a loss. Um, I don't see them matching up at Ohio, against Ohio state or Michigan, even though Maryland did on, on Saturday, but talking about undefeated teams, how about the Terps? But um, it, it's far from, I'd say a lost season for Purdue. It's year one with Ryan Walters. I think it was, it was, you can't expect them to come in and hit the ground running with a new head coach and win another division title. I just didn't see it, but um, what would you expect? Three and three after six games or two and four. They're not necessarily off. Schedule. Yeah. I, I would have expected three and three or four and two and instead they're two and four yeah. and they still have four very winnable games left on the schedule. You have at Michigan at Ohio state. Again, I, I got to stick to my bold prediction of Purdue beating Ohio state. I can't change my mind here. Right. Right. Um, it just, it feels like Ohio state's ripe for an upset, uh, because they have a big game the following week and this is at Purdue. Uh, maybe that that's the way they can happen. Classic trap game in college football. Meanwhile, in high school football, the sectional draw was set yesterday. Um, some notable matchups in six, a Carroll at Warsaw Fishers at Homestead and four, a you have Wayne at Dwinger East Noble at New Haven. That will be our 1380 fan Game of the week coming up, not this Friday, but next Friday, October 20th. And 3-8 Knox undefeated at Lakeland. Is that a good year? And 2-A Bluffton at Alexandria. And in Class A, South Adams at Adams Central. And I get it. I've already seen the chirping on social media. I know Brett Rump from 4-6 to six is, is really big on this. Here's my thing. Everyone already makes the playoffs. There's no need to have seating. Change that first, then I can get behind seeding. But with everyone already making the playoffs, these games being once a week, I don't see the need for the seed. The biggest thing for me with the seeding in basketball is to avoid the two best teams playing at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday. But every football game is played on Friday night. So even if the two best teams in the sectional, and let's say, for example, if that's New Haven and East Noble, that they're playing on a Friday. 
it's not happening right after people get off work on a random weekday. They're playing on Friday. So in that respect, I agree with you. That's the only reason I think they need seating in basketball. And that's why you don't need it in football. I, I just think to me, like everyone's already making the playoffs. You don't need seeds. Like seeding is for when you already have a selective group to begin with, not a, a free for all like the IHSAA does. And to be honest, I think the state tournament would be more interesting if everyone didn't make the playoffs in all these sports. I think that, but that's just how they operate and that's fine. How do they do it in Texas? Does everybody make the playoffs? No, of course not. Like it's a big deal. Like the, instead of having conferences, they have districts and then they, they redo districts every, I want to say four years. Okay. It's a, it, it means something to make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, it means something to win your district and then you go, by district is is the first round and then area and then you go to region quarterfinal uh region semifinal and then i think you, you go to state but it, it it means something to make the postseason in indiana everyone makes the playoffs whoop de doo i don't know i i just think seating is completely unnecessary the the matchups are the way they are you get a good draw you don't that's just the reality of how the postseason works yeah yeah, I, I, I've never experienced the other side of it like you have, so I can't make a direct comparison. But at the very least, no seeding is needed. Do they do they seed in in the Texas in the playoffs? Um, that's a good question. I can't recall if they actually seed the teams or not. Um, that's something I can't remember. But like, I think it, like you, you have to be so in a lot of. It, in a lot of districts, there there are four teams, and three of the four may make the playoffs. So, there situation. You know, losing teams can even make the playoffs. It's not like it's impossible, right? But it, it's just a lot more meaningful to advance out of your district because the districts change from time to time, right? Which is is not going to happen in Indiana, and that's fine. Like you don't need to be redoing like the conferences every three to four years. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of work, but their districts are obviously based on geography and enrollment and things like that. Like they they factor in and they also have six classes, but two divisions in each class plus six man football. Right. So there's a lot more. It's big time in Texas is what you're saying. It's big time. (laughs) Uh, It is. It's a big deal. But I, I think to me, though, if if you want seating, then make it so everyone doesn't make that. Like, I'm on board with that. You could have teams seated in sectionals if not everyone's making the playoffs. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But with everyone making the postseason, I don't see the need. No, I don't either. Especially everybody plays Friday still. Everybody knows you're not trying to scramble and get to a Tuesday 6 o'clock game. Everybody's on Friday. 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Monday. A bear, yes, a bear goes sailing. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. So we're back on the bear beat again today as we end the show. A black bear was at a Florida harbor Caught on camera, uh, hanging out on the deck of a sailboat. Just uh, chilling, huh? The owner of a, a towboat company was pushing a barge uh, back into the bay at Naples Sailing and Yacht Club. He spotted a bear in the water. Uh, said, 
You know, we get saltwater crocs, alligators, sharks. Can't say I've seen anything like this before. And then he, he came back around, looked over. The bear was on the sailboat. You got some video of the bear wandering the deck of the catamaran and sat there for like yeah, an hour. He was just going front to back on the boat, hanging out, walking back and forth. Of course, he's just hanging out. Attracted a crowd. Um, it, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission monitoring the bear's movements to make sure it safely finds its way back to the wilderness. It's a pretty impressive catamaran, too, by the way. Yes. Seeing these pictures. Here's oh, the thing. We, we've had more bear stories in Florida of late than we do in, you know, Colorado or yeah. anywhere out west or California. It's it's uh, very puzzling. I think the bears are getting ready to take on the, uh, the pythons. I hope so. Somebody needs to. It's going to be a sci-fi movie. (laughs) That wraps it up for us on Monday. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Meet with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.